Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We are reading in 1 Thessalonians. Now I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. We are ready to read chapter 4. At the end of chapter 3, Paul was praying that um, the obstacles would be removed so that he might be able to go and see the people, the congregation in Thessalonica again. And he also prayed that they would excel and overflow in love for one another and for all people. So, then we have chapter 4. He's going to start here in chapter 4. Finally, believers. And he sounds like he's winding up, but just so you know, there's five. <laughs> if you don't know this already, and I have trouble remembering these things, but there are five chapters in First Thessalonians, so he's not totally done. Uh, these chapters are not very long, so this one will not be very long either. Anyway, so this is chapter 4. Finally, believers, we ask and admonish you in the Lord Jesus that you follow the instruction that you received from us about how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are actually doing, and that you excel even more and more, pursuing a life of purpose and living in a way that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation. This is this is really how we should all live, right? I mean, we should all be um, trying to walk and please God in our lives, and we should try to excel more and more in, you know, living a life of gratitude to God, but, you know, <clears throat> also doing the things we should do. He's going to get on into this. I don't need to be running on at this point. Let's read on. For you know what commandments and precepts we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, that you be sanctified, separated, and set apart from sin, that you abstain and back away from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, being, being available for God's purpose and separated from things profane, not to be used in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God and are ignorant of his will, and that in this manner, matter of sexual misconduct no man shall transgress and defraud his brother because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we have told you before and solemnly warned you. So he is encouraging them to be separate and apart from sin. Now this was this was a capital city. I'm sure there were a lot of sinful things, just like in every big city. Really, if we think about it, every town in the world nowadays, you know, they have bars, there's a lot of strip clubs, there's a lot, well, there's a lot of illegal um even if it's not legal, there's a lot of prostitution, there's a lot of things that go on that we consider to be sinful and negative and bad for you. I mean, just the fact that they're bad for you is bad. <laughs> you know, does it really, do we really need to go further? But, but nonetheless, he's encouraging them to make sure they stay away from sexual immorality. <clears throat> and that everyone control their body in holiness and honor. In other words, making sure that we, um, you know, our body is the temple. We have the Holy Spirit in us, and, and we have become the temple of God in, in that spiritual way. And, you know, we shouldn't be using 
we shouldn't be using our body in, in ways that would be sinful, that would be bad. You know, and this includes uh, sexual immorality. It could include uh, drunkenness and drug use and a number of different things like that. Um, now, it's not to say that you can't take a pharmaceutical medicine that's prescribed to you by your doctor. Um, we know some of those will make us woozy or a little weird. And, you know, I don't know about you, I usually just go ahead and, and take a nap if that's the case. Because, I, you know, I do not really enjoy being that way anyway. So, and plus, if I get sleepy, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be taking a nap. Just trust me. Um, but... You know, it's not that you can't do the things you're supposed to do, but you abstain from doing things that are wrong and bad for you. And the reason is, truly, is that they're bad for us. Not, not that God is trying to keep us from having fun. It's, it's, you know, we shouldn't do things that are bad for us, that hurt us. Um, and all these things can be. So... You know, and so a lot of this, I'm not sure a lot about this town here, but I'm going to assume that like in a lot of the old world cities that they had, maybe temples to Aphrodite where prostitution or, you know, sexual conduct things were happening a lot, you know, uh, things of an illicit nature we would think of now, you know. So, you know, he's warning them to stay away from those things. And to, you know, make sure they keep themselves separate for God. Um, and, and this is a good reminder for us, too, because it's so easy to be um, deceived and lured into things that we shouldn't, we shouldn't do. And um, none, of us, none of us are perfect. And, and you may have a moment of weakness. So it is better to just stay away from those things altogether. Because it's easy to have a moment of weakness. I mean, if you've ever been, like, just for example, just say if you've ever been, like, on a particular diet where for some health reason, it may not be about weight, it may be other things, you're trying to abstain from certain items, but those happen to be the items you love, and that's what you really want. And in a moment of weakness, maybe you have that, and, and you know, it's not the best choice for you, but you have it, and you do it, and and then later you kind of feel bad or, you know, it affects you in an adverse way. You know, this is kind of like that, except this is in a very spiritual sense and, and mental, emotional sense. Because we're really not supposed to be geared to run around and just have a lot of... Oh, well, I'm not going to get into that. But I, I don't think mentally and emotionally, I don't think it's good for us. I don't think we're really supposed to run around and just have sex with a lot of different partners. I think it it does hurt us spiritually, but I think mentally and emotionally it too affects you in not a good way. I think it changes certain things in you, and it's hard to revert back away from that. And I think it changes the way you look at that, something that's supposed to be very intimate and very special. And I think it... It affects you in a negative way towards that. Um, I, I, it's not been my experience, so I can't totally talk about it possibly as good as, I, as good as I would like. But on the other hand, I see how people are and how they act. And, and I just I know that, that doing that type of activity is not, not good for you on, on any level. Not, not like that. So 
All right. So we're going to continue on. For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness, to be dedicated and set apart by behavior that pleases him, whether in public or private. So whoever rejects and disregards this is not merely rejecting man, but but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you to dwell in you and empower you to overcome temptation. And that's how we should be. You know, the Holy Spirit is within us to help remind us and help us to overcome temptation if we will listen and pay attention. And I will tell you, I myself, I'm just going to tell you, I'm at fault. I Sometimes I refuse to listen and I stubbornly do what I want to do and that's wrong. But I I have to just own up to it. I mean, sometimes I mess up. And, uh, you know, that's wrong. And we don't want to be doing that. Um, I do that in other ways. (laughs) I'll just say that in other ways. It's not not really... uh, Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is, what the sin is, okay? But sometimes we, we do something or we want to do something, and we do it stubbornly anyway. Now, <clears throat> over time, as you walk the path and follow the Lord, that becomes less and less and less. But I don't, I don't want to ever sit back and say that we're perfect or that I'm perfect and that I don't ever do that. No, I'm not perfect. I, I don't know if I will ever be perfect. Um, but we just get up every day and we try to continue every day. All right, so reading on. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you have been personally taught by God to love one another, that is, to have an unselfish concern for others and to do things for their benefit. For indeed, you already do practice it toward all the believers throughout Macedonia by actively displaying your love and concern for them. But we urge you, brothers and sisters, that you excel in this matter more and more and to make it your ambition to live quietly and peacefully, and to mind your own affairs and work with your hands, just as we directed you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders exhibiting good character, personal integrity, and moral courage, worthy of the respect of the outside world, and be dependent on no one and in need of nothing. Be self-supporting. Or, as we would say, be self-sufficient. Now, this is a long, again, this is a long sentence. This sentence actually starts in verse 10. Yeah, it starts in the, the latter end of verse 10. And it runs down through, what, verse 12, right? So, anyway, he's urging them, though, if you look at this, he's urging them that they excel in this matter more and more. Well, what matter? Okay, let's look at what he's talking about in verse 9 and 10, he's talking about um, we, you have no one, no one needs to write you about brotherly love because you've already been taught by God to do that, to have an unselfish concern for others and to do things for their benefit. And you're already doing that. He's saying you already do this. Indeed, you already do this. And he says, but we urge you that you excel in this matter more and more and make it your ambition to live quietly and peacefully, to mind your own affairs. In other words, don't be a busybody. Just just, just mind your own business. Work with your hands. Now, now this was a thing. 
Um, it says, work with your hands uh, just as we directed you. In other words, you know, it, for some of us, like me, I have a job. Now, it does so happen that in a weird way, I do work with my hands. <laughs> but, I mean, it, this, was just a, this was just saying that you would work. You know, that you have a job, that you would work, and that you would do something. That you would do something in your life, you would be busy doing something, you know, other than just sitting around being a busybody or whatever. But that you would, you would work, you would do something productive, you know. Now, for some people's work, their absolute work is the work of God, and, and that's, that's wonderful, that's great. But we can't all just do that. We have people who, who, uh, who raise crops, who, 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 you know, who produce the food. We've got to have people who produce clothing. We've got to have all these other things. So we can't all do the same thing. So, you know, so he's just saying that they should, you know, mind their own affairs and do their jobs, you know, and make sure that they behave properly, exhibiting good character and integrity, and, and, de and be dependent on no one and in need of nothing. Be self-sufficient. And, plus, God will bless the work of your hands. God will bless your job, bless you in your work. And then, when you have abundance to share with others, you can share with others and help others. You can help the needy. You can give some into God's kingdom and, and whatever work needs to be done in a, in a ministry. Um, I would say your initial thing should be, now this is just me, but this is what I believe you should Try to help your local congregation first and then move outward from there. I think everything starts at home. You take care of you, you take care of your family, you make sure you're taken care of. God blesses you and helps you do that. And then out of your abundance, you know, we all have a little something extra. We can, we can give to the needy. We can give to our church, you know, and we try to work out from there. And if we do that, then all, all should be a lot better in our world if we would all uh, do that. I, I think, I don't know, uh, maybe most people do. And maybe that's why the world is as good as it is. Because there's, I know we see a lot of negative, but I think there's also a lot of good out there. Still, a lot of good Christians doing good things. So he's encouraging them, and thus us, to also do this. And not to be dependent on anyone, you know. Uh, obviously, I guess there was some issue with that even back then. You know, people... Now, and this is not saying I have been, okay? I have been laid off from jobs before, so I know how it is. If you get laid off and you're out of work and, and you do the best you can, and I understand that. Sometimes you're in an unusual position. But most of the time, most of the time, you shouldn't... Most of your life shouldn't be you depending on others for support, you know? Yeah, when you're a kid, definitely you should be supported by your parents. But, you know, you reach a point where you should be um, self-sufficient and self-supporting. And, uh, and I'm not going to give that a, a particular timeline because it depends. I mean, you're going, you know, you have school you got to get through and then maybe you go to college and you still need some help and support there. But at some point, you should be self-supporting out on your own. Most people, most people hit that point, I would say, at least by the time they're 24, 25. Some people a lot earlier. Some people, uh, you know, I, I personally, you know, moved out. I was like 17 
and I just moved out on my own because I was not being the best of persons and I was not doing the best, but I moved out on my own. I learned a lot from that. It really taught me some good lessons. That was probably the best thing for me was to get out on my own and then I ended up joining the Air Force and doing things that really helped make me, I think God sort of pushed me or nudged me on these lines to help me be a better person. So even though maybe I didn't take the best path, I, I, you know, and I, I'm sure I was not always exactly in his will. I still think he, he tried to guide me along when I would pay attention. So just saying, you know, that's my personal experience. So nonetheless, um, so we are just being encouraged here to do these things, to care about others and to try to be dependent on no one and take care of ourselves and our families. Now, I'm going to move on with verse 13. Now, we do not want you to be uninformed believers about those who are asleep in death, so that you will not grieve for them as the others do who have no hope beyond this present life. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, as in fact he did, even so God, in this same way, by raising them from the dead, will bring with him those believers who have fallen asleep in Jesus. In other words, if we believe in Jesus, that Jesus died and rose again, then we're also going to believe that God is going to raise these people also. You know, at the appropriate time for you know, as we count time and as we live through time. Um, <clears throat> for we say this to you by the Lord's own word, that we who are still alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will in no way proceed into his presence those believers who have fallen asleep, asleep in death. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the blast of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain on the earth will simultaneously be caught up. Now, I want you to realize the Amplified Bible uses this word. This is not my word of choice. Okay, it says we will simultaneously be caught up, and it says raptured. We're going to come back to that. Together with them, the resurrected ones, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort and encourage one another with these words concerning our reunion with believers who have died. That's the end of the chapter, but I want to come back to this one part. Um, so basically, what Paul is saying is when the Lord returns, the dead will rise first, and then we who are alive, if we are here, we will simultaneously, we will be caught up with them who have, who have been risen and we will be caught up together with them and we will meet the Lord in the air. And we will always, he will take us and we will always be with him. So we will have that reunion with those who have died. All right. Now, they use that word raptured. Now, the way rapture is used currently that I'm familiar with, now, you may have other knowledge and that's okay, but what I'm familiar with, most people talk about where Jesus says, um, 
you know, at the end days, um, it will be like the time of Moses, and then one person, there will be two people in the field, and one person will be taken, and one will be left, and etc., etc. And people call that the rapture, and some people think that all Christians will be raptured or taken from the earth, and only bad, evil people will be left behind. Or unbelieving people. Maybe not bad, evil, but maybe unbelieving people. Nonetheless, regardless, that's not exactly right. Jesus mentions the example of Noah for a reason. The reason he mentions that is that, ah, this is just my belief from the way he says it, um, in the days of Noah, it was Noah's family that was left. It was the righteous people that were still alive after the flood. And so I believe that that also pertains to the way things are going to happen at this event where um, probably only believers, only Christians will be left. Just saying, that's what I believe based on that example, okay? If I misunderstand something, that's fine. We can look at those scriptures and study those further. But based on the way Jesus has said that, when I've read that previously, and the example he uses, saying as in the day things will be as in the days of Noah, and giving that example, and then saying how things will happen, you know. And I don't know. Rapture is never used in the Bible, and that's why I'm, I'm loath to use that word because it has certain meanings to different people. Yeah, so I tried to stay away from that. Now they used it here, but here what they're referring to is what Paul is referring to is when when Jesus returns, the dead will rise first. And then we will all be caught up in the air with the Lord. And that's plainly stated here in the Bible for all to see, uh, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so from then on, basically, we will always be with the Lord. So to me, this is just a statement of fact. And we don't need that word thrown in there to confuse anyone because the dead will rise. And then we will all simultaneously meet the Lord in the air. That's according to the scripture right here. Now, how that pertains to the other, I don't know and I can't necessarily totally relate 100%. But um, I'm still saying that this is when the Lord returns. That's what's going to happen. Now, when he talks about that, other, he talks about the other, and he says, um, as in the days of Noah, and, and, and what's going to happen then, that is before, that is before Christ comes back and we meet him in the air. So, that's what I believe, if I'm reading and understanding everything correctly in the timeline, because... Um, <clears throat> Once we've once the dead have risen and we have rose and we've met Jesus in the air and we're with the Lord, well then, the rest of that would have had to have already occurred. It doesn't make sense for it to occur after that, at least not to my mind. So, so unless I have something wrong, that's what I understand and believe. And definitely, even if you don't agree with me on some of that, that's okay. Let's just look at what Paul is saying here and agree that what he's saying is what's going to happen. Jesus is going to return. It, everybody's going to know it. 
everybody's going to know it. There's going to be this this loud blast of like the trumpet of God. Everyone's going to know the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive will be caught up with them and meet the Lord in the air. Okay? So, I know I kind of went off on a kind of a roundabout tangent, but that's because the word rapture just has all this meaning wrapped up to it. And when I was younger, I heard people talk about that. I thought it was a real thing. But it's really not, not in the way they mean it. At least not to me it's not. <laughs> so I, I don't believe that that's exactly correct, the way it was taught. Um, I, I think people, I think a lot of people know better now, but uh, back then, and I'm thinking a long time ago, people didn't. So I just want to make sure that I mention that. Um, so I hope you understand that. So we have read First Thessalonians, that's chapter 4. And it has some good, interesting stuff in it. I know Thessalonians has been kind of short, and these chapters have been have been rather short. So, all right. So again, that's First Thessalonians chapter four. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. The Lord bless you and keep you and your family. And remember, God loves you. <laughs>